Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Fistle Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. It is presented by Cadillac, the official luxury vehicle of the New York football Giants. We're going to be here for the next hour. We'll talk Giants football with you as well as other things around the NFL. I'm Paul Dottino. He is Matt Sitek. So glad you could be with us. Our phone number is 201-939-4513. 201-939-4513. You can also go to Twitter if you like and hit us up at hashtag GiantsChat. And as a reminder, you can always find an archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. Matt and I have not been on the show the first two days of this week. We know there was a snow out yesterday, so the program was postponed. And for those of you who were looking for it, I do apologize, but you will be able to pick up today's program on the archive and listen to it twice if you so prefer. And then again, maybe you won't prefer. Uh, but the Super Bowl was contested on, on Sunday, as we all know, and, and the Chiefs beat the 49ers. In fact, Kansas City is going through their victory parade uh, right now after that 25-22 to 22 victory. I've corresponded with Spags. I know you folks want to know that. He is ecstatic. He got a contract extension, and everything is hunky-dory. He loves these players. He loves what's going on in Kansas City. And quite honestly, now that he's got four Super Bowl rings, the only coordinator who has four, uh, there's a drive for five. I already told him. I said, I'm pulling for you on the drive for five, baby, as long as they're not playing the Giants. Uh, go get a fight. Go get a fifth, you know? Uh, but in any event... Uh, what I wanted to do, just to touch base here with Matt to start things off, and we'll get to your phone calls in just a couple of minutes. Again, 201-939-4513. If you want to get on hold, we've got some lines open. A uh, couple of things that I think were very apparent in this Super Bowl that everybody around the NFL needs to just take a breath and remember some of the basics of football. During the first half of that game, when San Francisco clearly owned the uh, the style of play as well as the quality of play, it was all because they were in control of the trenches because that's what football 101 is. But after the, the Chiefs came out for the second half, they did a significantly better job on the defensive side of the ball in particular with their front and it, con- it continued all throughout the second half and overtime. And that's what finally kind of evened the plane and allowed their offense to then steal the game. Because in the first half, the Niners had both sides of the trenches of the line of scrimmage. And that's why they were on top and, quite honestly, should have had a bigger lead. And that's where they need to be kicking themselves for the rest of this offseason, is that they should have had a larger lead that would not have allowed Kansas City to flip the switch. Yeah, uh, you brought up Spags to open up the show. Uh, Next Gen Stats on Sunday night put out a stat that the Chiefs generated 
a season-high nine unblocked pressures on the 49ers in the Super Bowl, all of which came on blitzes, which we know Spags is great at cooking up blitzes where the, the offense doesn't know where the extra you know rusher is going to come from. Mm-hmm. But nine unblocked pressures in the Super Bowl. I mean, that that is truly remarkable. And a lot of those came in the second half. And what that did was it put the 49ers behind the chains a lot. I mean, if you look, Christian McCaffrey opened up the game. I believe it was three carries for 20 yards. Looked like, oh, he's going to easily top 100 yards on the ground. Slowed down a little bit, you know, as the first half progressed. But if you look at the set of the third quarter, which the 49ers went into halftime with a 10 to 3 lead, by the end of the third quarter, the Chiefs were up 13 to 10. Christian McCaffrey had two rush attempts in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. Two. Mm-hmm. This is potentially probably the number one running back in the league, the best player on the 49ers, and Spags and the Chiefs defense were disrupting the 49ers' flow on offense so much that they couldn't get the best player the ball. I mean, he had a couple of catches, but the key for the 49ers, I mean, their biggest strength, what opens up the field for Brock Purdy to have as much success as he had this past season was Christian McCaffrey establishing the run, and they just completely abandoned that in the third quarter because of all of these pressures that Spags was cooking up, which really just had them playing from behind the chains for a lot of the third quarter. Well, how many people do you think going into the Super Bowl, and I know that the people out in Vegas probably know exactly how many people, would not have thunk George Kittle two catches for four yards on the day? I how sure, about that? I sure did not think that his final stat line was going to be that small. I thought he was going to have a big impact. He was basically eliminated. Yeah. Everyone, you know. And it wasn't because of coverage. It was because of the philosophical things that Spags was doing that then impacted their ability to get it to him. Yeah. It wasn't that they were just like shadowing him or doubling him. That wasn't, that was it wasn't that simple. It, it went beyond that. Yeah. And I mean, Spags was able to do the same thing with some of other, the 49ers' other top playmakers. I mean, Brandon Ayuk, I think he had three targets. Three catches for 49. Three uh, catches. That, Debo had three catches for 33. We're talking about top two top receivers that just got completely basically taken out of the game. I mean, McCaffrey was pretty much the whole offense for the 49ers. So in any event, um, you know, that to me was just the biggest difference at halftime and how this game swung and allowed Mahomes and the offense to do just enough to wind up squeezing out the win. It was all about... Spags' adjustments, Spags' philosophies, and how the front of the Kansas City Chiefs basically woke up at halftime. Because in the first half, even though San Francisco wasn't running away with the game, they clearly had the edge in play. Because Kansas City's defensive front wasn't getting enough heat. They weren't causing enough of disruption. But once they began to get that going, it just changed the entire ball game. So I think that's important to understand, folks, because... This game will still, still be a game that's decided in the trenches, no matter what date it says on the calendar. Football 101 comes down to the line of scrimmage. Yeah, no no argument here. It's It all comes down to the trenches, both sides of the ball. You got to win up front in order to have success. Now, the other thing you need sometimes is some good fortune. And the fact that a punt was able to be uh, uh, landing and bouncing off of the heel of a San Francisco special teamer, which, of course, was recovered by Kansas City and converted into some points. Uh, Clearly, that was a major turning point in the game. I'm not going to say it wasn't because somebody could say, hey, Tatino, what are you talking about? They don't get that punt recovery. Maybe uh, they don't come back. All right, I get it. It was a huge turning point in the game. It doesn't change philosophically how Kansas City began to turn the tide in the narrative of the game. But that one particular play certainly set them up for an easy score. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, talking about the Chiefs' first half versus the second half, let's be real. How long can a team, a defense, realistically shut down Patrick Mahomes? They they did a great job in the first half, the 49ers. There's a tremendous job of limiting Mahomes. I mean, well, the Kansas City offensive line had had a weaker first half than a second half. For sure. Once again, For the sure. trenches. Take out the the last field goal that the the last field goal drive the Chiefs had right before half. They were pretty much completely shut out the entire first half. Mm-hmm. They were not able to do anything on offense. 
But as we now can tell a few days later after watching the second half, I mean, Patrick Mahomes already, I think, has solidified himself among the greatest quarterbacks of all time. He's only six full seasons into his NFL career. He's got three Super Bowl MVPs, another Super Bowl appearance, and he's not even 30 years old yet. I mean, what he what he's done to open his career is truly remarkable. I mean, obviously, you never know what's going to happen, you know, barring an injury though. I mean, I don't see I don't see Mahomes or this team slowing down anytime soon. Well, you know, I think it's interesting because the league is built to have uh, turnover. It's built to have parity. It's built to consistently have new teams in the mix. Uh, to this point, the Chiefs are doing something that was very Patriot-like, what I used to call Belichickian, which was a word that I created to define a lot of what the New England Patriots franchise did for a period of almost 15 years. And... Um, they are certainly like halfway towards doing that. Now, can they continue to do it? Geez, I thought I thought it was lightning in a bottle the way Belichick and Brady were able to do what they did. Can the Chiefs potentially have a full decade plus uh, duration of dynasty dominance? Can they do it? Well, right now, right now they're in position. They're certainly in position to do something that only the Patriots have done in the new era of the NFL. Remember, the Pittsburgh Steelers won four championships with the Steel Curtain in six years. Four in six. The Chiefs haven't gotten there yet. Yet. <laughs> yet is the keyword. Absolutely. They're already one of the favorites for next year's Super Bowl. You know, I remember, I remember um, some of the Oakland A's back from the... Um, the old uh, Charlie Finley, Oakland A's, who when the Giants, not the Giants, when the Yankees had won a couple of World Series in a row, they were like, okay, well, let's see them if they can get the three-peat. You know, that was the thing. Three-peat is kind of what separates you from just having multiples. Even the Steelers, who had four and six years, did not have a three-peat. Three-peat is, is very, very significant. Remember the 49ers, uh, as Pat Summerall said, after the Matt Barr field goal, there will be no three-peat. That's, that's a very, very hard line of definition between doing something absolutely elite and just being super. There's a difference. Oh, yeah. Can, a- can the, four, can the, uh, the Chiefs... Pull off the three-peat. Can Mahomes do that? Can he wind up with four over six years? Can he wind up with six over 12 years? I don't know, but he certainly has a chance. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially him, the pairing of him and Andy Reid together, I think they definitely, definitely have a chance. And there was one statistic that I saw, I believe it was yesterday or two days ago, uh, that really – I mean, Mahomes obviously – multiple MB- league MVP like we know how great Mahomes is but this stat that I saw made my jaw, jaw drop a little bit to be to be 100% honest okay and that was got? there have been 125 drives in the NFL postseason since 2001 where a team was trying attempting to drive down the field in the last minute of the game in a one possession game with yeah. the, with the trailing so coming from behind, okay. last minute, there have been 125 drives of this circumstances. Okay. About 40% of the teams have been able to actually drive down the field and get the points that they needed Okay. It's in, in these 22 years. Now, the stat mentions that Tom Brady, who obviously right now is considered the greatest of all time, he went 5 for 11 in those situations. Drew Brees... Another, you know, likely first ballot Hall of Famer, mm-hmm. three for six in those situations. Okay. Patrick Mahomes has had seven of those situations. Guess how many of those drives he converted and got the six? points he needed? Seven. He is seven for seven in those is situations. Is he really? In the last minute of a game in the fourth quarter, driving down the field and getting <clears throat> the points that the Chiefs needed. Well. That is why, I personally, I think Mahomes is, this is the be- just the beginning 
of the Chiefs dynasty, and there Could is a, a lot more to come, in my opinion. Remember, Odie Corsi used to say that was the litmus test. Yeah. That's what you have to do to become my franchise quarterback. That's what Ernie Acorsi felt when he had to make the trade in his mind for Eli Manning. And he was right. Look he what was. He, look what Eli did. Eli did it twice. Super Bowl runs. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah. And even more if you count the, the playoff games. Yeah. 100%. You know, but twice in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. So in any event, and by the way, uh we, we had this conversation the other day when, when Matt was not doing the program. Um and please feel free to chime in on this again if you want. And I don't need to make it a whole Eli Manning Hall of Fame show. I don't want to do that because there are still some people out there who don't understand football, who don't think that Eli belongs in. But, hey, that's fine. Whatever. Um, but the, the Hall of Fame class uh, next year, he is the only quarterback who is up as a first-time candidate yep. for the Hall of Fame is what I, what I try to explain to John and – and I don't know how much he was buying or not, but that will help his cause. Because what happens in the room is, guys in the room will compare candidates who are at the same position as they start weeding them out. Well, there's nobody, nobody who can compare to Eli in that that first ballot conversation next year. He is the only QB. Now, as you move on in years, and this is why... you know, he kind of needs to get in right away because as you move on in years, there will be people who will argue for, oh, you can't put Eli in. Drew Brees has to go in. Oh, you have to put Ben Roethlisberger in. Oh, you have to put Tom Brady in. And and those kinds of arguments will happen in the, in the voting room. So it really helps Eli tremendously, not that he needs it, but that he will be the only quarterback in all likelihood discussed in the room. And as far as leftover candidates, Ken Anderson is probably the best leftover candidate. And there's no comparison. No. So it really bodes well for Eli. But there's an anti-New York sentiment out there. They made Wellington Marrow wait forever. They made Harry Carson wait forever. You know, they couldn't make LT wait. I mean, come on, he's LT. You know, but, but guys have been made to wait. And it would really be better for Eli if he's not made to wait because then you'll have those other discussions with those other names, even even the Philip Rivers of the world. Who yeah. Philip Rivers, I got no problem if he goes in, but he's got to go in after Eli. Anyway, I don't know. Did you have a thought on that? No, no. I agree with you completely. I mean, even when he retired, and I believe there were rumors that offseason that Breeze was also going to retire. And, of course, Breeze came back for one more season. And then he retired, and you know, even at the time, people were saying that could end up being beneficial for Eli getting in as a first ballot Hall of Famer in that all these other quarterbacks of his generation that deserve to be in the Hall of Fame and will one day be in the Hall of Fame aren't going to be eligible for the first time the same year as Eli. So I, I agree with you. I, I think he should be in next year. Obviously, I'm a little biased, but... That's okay. But he deserves it. Two Super Bowl MVPs. Not many many players can say that. You know, it would truly be amazing if he and Tom Coughlin could go in together. I think everybody around New York certainly would love to see that. And I'm sure the Jacksonville people would love to see it, too. They're going to be home for Tom as well. That would be very special. Very special moment. That would mean the world to both of those guys as well, getting to be and go in together. No, for sure. For sure. All right. Uh, Folks, our number is 201-939-4513. Give us a call. We do have lines open. I'm going to get to this first caller in just a second after we tell you that the Giants Huddle podcast has long-form interviews, features with coaches, front office staff, past and present, all kinds of NFL experts. Uh, You can search your favorite podcast platform or go to Giants.com slash podcasts. If you're on Apple Podcasts, leave a positive review. That always helps our ratings. Uh, also, remember, you can take your fandom to the next level with a Giants season ticket membership. Stay connected to the team all year round. They are available for the 2024 season. To learn more all about exclusive member benefits, visit Giants.com tickets. Limited inventory is available. And the official Giants TV streaming app is called Giants TV. It brings original video content, game highlights on demand to Big Blue fans. Giants TV is free on Apple TV, Roku, and Amazon Fire TV and the Giants mobile app. So that takes care of the spots. Now we go to the phones, 201-939-4513. First up on today's program is Hugo. 
you begin today's Big Blue Kickoff Live show. Hello. Hey, good afternoon, guys. What's up? Um, just a, a couple comments about uh, Spags. Um, you know, he uh, he did two stints here with the Giants, and he was always a fan favorite and obviously had the admiration uh, of ownership. And, um, you know, one of, one of the good things I think Ben McAdoo did was retain him as his defensive coordinator once uh, – Tom Coughlin, quote-unquote, retired. Um, it, one of the most disappointing things um, in the Shermer era was he didn't retain Spags, who was, by the way, interim head coach after McAdoo was mm-hmm. let go, to replace him with none other than James Betcher. <laughs> so, yeah, so, I mean, one of, I guess, many missteps uh, along the way. But uh, everyone here in New York will always be grateful Bags for uh, the Super Bowl 42 win in the 2007 season. He's got, as you know, Paul, lots and lots of admiration. And mm-hmm. I, I think it does extend all the way up to ownership. It does. Um, and, and let me also add, for those of you who don't know him personally, he is a dynamite guy. Just just yeah. a just a great, great guy. I, I'm very yeah, honored really... and privileged to, to, to say that I have a relationship with him because... Uh, not just a great football man and a great coach, but a great person. Absolutely. Uh, a religious man, a family man, uh, someone really to be admired. Yep. Anyhow, I, I didn't really call about that. But, Paul, uh, one of the, you asked me a question, and I kind of deferred it last week, about Darren Waller. As, as you recall, I talked about the nature of his um, injuries. Yeah. So I did a little research and um, found Joe Shane's comments after we traded for Waller. He was asked about the uh, injury history, and one of the things he said is, we think we have the best, I'm paraphrasing here, the best or one of the better uh, training and medical staffs, and we think uh, we can manage it. Mm-hmm. You know, after after year one with Waller, it seems that whatever plan they had in place to manage it hasn't really worked. So you asked the question, would you cut Waller? And I guess my view now is that's conditioned upon what the medical staff tells Joe Shane sure. about what changes they could make to that management plan to get him to play up to, call it, uh, number one or one a style receiver. Now, now he's going to be 32 years old, and he's had he had injuries this past year. He counts a lot towards the cap, and I think by releasing him, you save six seven million dollars against the cap. Yeah, it's approximately that. I haven't looked at the numbers recently, but that does ring a bell. Yeah, and I was looking up some players that you could get for six seven million dollars, and I. And, um, some of them, I was specifically looking at uh, Kansas City free agents. One of them is, uh, according to you know, one of these services like PFF or Spot Track or whatever, mm. uh, Willie Gay Jr., uh, a really good young linebacker. So, uh, unless the training staff can convince Joe Shane that there is a true management plan for Waller, I guess I would be more in the camp of yeah letting him go and, and then backfilling somehow. And All right. by the way, Remember like, one thing, though, Hugo. You, you can never talk about, oh, this is what you'll save off the cap. The other part to that is what's the dead money? And the dead money's over 7 mil that you're going to have to carry on your cap. So I know. That's, that's the that's other part that people usually forget when they talk about getting rid of a no, player. I, I understand. But on the margin, if you let him go, you will have $7 million dollars of resource available to you in the free agency period. The, the dead, to, to me, I, I mean, there's this economic term called sunk cost. The, the dead money is whatever. The decision was made. The third round pick is gone. All those costs already happened. So what you got to do now is make a decision on the margin about what is what benefits the team going forward. Yeah. And again, it, it's about a medical view. Mm-hmm. In, in many ways, and that's fair. But 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 based on the first year of evidence, they couldn't get it managed the way I think Joe Shane would have liked. Well, they have they have a, a new strength and conditioning people in here now, uh, including yep. Aaron Wellman, who had a good yep. track record in the past. Um, 
I think it's fair to say he deserves an opportunity to see what he can do with a 32-year-old tight end who's a potential 1,000-yard receiver when next year, if you wanted to talk about the business side of Darren Waller's situation, you're talking about saving 10.5 mil and only 5 mil in dead money. That makes it a heck of a lot more palatable if you really are of the position that at some point Darren Waller needs to be set free. This, this is a much less attractive year to do that. No, I, I agree. I agree. Um, I, I'm just, <laughs> I, I guess I'm in the, I'm in the uh, camp of the probabilities are working against um, Darren Waller, at least in my mind. But let me, let me move on for a moment. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, but, Paul, there was a, I guess it was a rumor, but I think Joe Shane actually talked about it once. The Chris Knee was at one point being considered as sort of a scout uh, for O-line talent only. Is that? Was that true? Chris, that Chris did several? that for Tom Coughlin in Jacksonville. Right. He, he was he was doing some work for the Jaguars uh, in terms of uh, evaluating offensive line talent. Uh, Chris, at one point, at one point, I think expressed his interest to the Giants that he would like to do that, but I don't know that there was any official application okay. or official inquiry made. I think that's the fa- Matt. That's the fairest thing to say. Yep. Yeah. That's what I remember. Well, you, you know, I, I made this point to John a couple of weeks ago that, you know, I think I think fans are willing to be patient. At least I, I'm willing to be. I think the one thing no one will tolerate, Paul, <laughs> you know, there's there's going to be a buzz in the stadium is if, if we start seeing a 12th straight year of poor offensive line play. Now we're getting a new coach, so the coaching right. angle has been addressed. But obviously there's going to be a new talent infusion, and I think hiring someone for this type of position as just another check on the people who are coming in uh, would not be a bad thing. I would love for it to be Sean O'Hara, but now he has a stellar stellar career in the media, and he does a great job, by the way, at the Combine when uh, all the offensive line Mm -hmm. field work is going on. But I, I, I don't think, you know, th- this is a thing that happens. It's nothing to be embarrassed about, by the way. Uh, for the longest time, the Ravens, who are a good organization, right, could not draft wide receivers. They tried and tried. The Eagles, their cornerbacks came through free agency and trade, you know, they're veterans. And for the longest time, they could not draft re- receivers either until they finally hit on Devontae Smith. They traded for A.J. Brown. So I, I think it's actually a real thing around the NFL when you look around. And um, I would be an advocate of doing something like that just as another check on the talent being brought in. But uh, I'll leave it at that. Thank okay. you guys for taking my call. Thank yep. you. Go appreciate it. 201-939-4513. Our lines are open. Yeah, it does seem like certain organizations and certainly the Browns with a quarterback was was one that was very, very notable. Yep. Uh, they seem to have like walked under a ladder somewhere and gotten a nasty hex placed on them that, oh, we just can't fill that position. I would say this, and I'm interested in what you might respond. There are times when no matter who a team drafts, that guy just doesn't seem to work out. But then there are other times where, as is the case with the Giants, guys get hurt. How many offensive linemen? And, you know, I haven't done this, and maybe I should. How many offensive linemen have the Giants drafted in the last decade, either first, second, third, or even fourth round? Because, as we all know, the first round of the third day, the fourth round is still supposed to be a functional player. I wonder, I haven't done this this assignment. Maybe it's something we can do. Count how many offensive linemen the Giants have drafted in the first four rounds over the course of the last 10 years. And comparatively speaking, line that up against the other teams in the league and see exactly where do they stand. Because I guarantee you they're not going to be low on that list. They may be in the middle. They may even be high. We know they've signed a bunch of veteran, young veteran free agents, mm-hmm. and those guys didn't work out either. But the guys they drafted more often than not, got injured 
it wasn't necessarily because they weren't any good. They got hurt. That's a little different than drafting a guy who just doesn't produce. Definitely. And, I mean, if you look back at some of the offensive linemen the Giants have drafted, I mean, Andrew Thomas was an all-pro in 2022. And granted, he got hurt last season. He ended up missing the first basically half of the year. But his numbers in the second half, once he came back, look like the Andrew Thomas from the year before. It took him a little bit to kind of get his footing back underneath him, you know, with hamstring injuries for any position are, are tough to come back from in the, during the season. But his numbers the last, let's call it, month of the season were just as good as, like, his all-pro year, the year before. That's one example. I mean, John Michael Schmitz was a rookie last season, but he had flashes. He showed there were moments where we you were watching him play, and you're like, oh, this guy is going to be something special. might take him a, a little time to continue developing, but – this guy, you know, has it. So you can look back at what you're just saying. You look back the last decade. There, there are some examples uh, you, as you can see on this list. Like there, yeah. def- there definitely are some guys that were drafted and just did not pan out. I mean, Correct. that's going to happen with every team across the league at any position. It just it happens. But I don't think that it's fair to say that the Giants, you know, are are cursed when it comes to drafting offensive linemen. Like Hugo gave the example of the Ravens for so many years at the wide receiver position. Like, I don't think it's necessarily fair to put it in that ballpark. I mean, especially considering the people making the decisions in the draft now are completely different for the most part than the guys that were making the decisions even just a couple of years ago, let alone a decade ago. Well, sure. It's, it's unfair. As I always say, it's unfair to staple the scars of previous coaching staffs or administrations on the current people involved. Yes. That that's that's totally unfair. I appreciate the frustration that carries over with the fans and they will tend to let it compound, but Definitely. it it doesn't make it fair. No. It's not fair at all. And look, Joe Shane admitted that the you know, the offensive line play this past season was obviously nowhere near where it needed to be. I mean, no. the numbers prove that. I mean, they the Giants gave up, what was it, the second most sacks ever allowed it in a was, season. It was brutal. They gave up, I think it was 20 more sacks than any other team. Like, clearly, everyone is under, on the same page that that is not good enough. And there will be resources put towards the offensive line this offseason in some capacity. Now, we have no idea if that's going to be – you know, going after some veteran free agents or spending some high draft picks on guys could be a mixture of both, but it, it doesn't take a genius or a, a genius to, to recognize that the offensive line needs some work. They mm-hmm. they brought in a, a new offensive line coach, which a lot of people, even just around the league, around the media, think will help. Carmen Brasillo has a track record of getting the most out of players. I mean, I think we spoke about this two weeks ago that he, or maybe it was with John a couple weeks ago, but he got the most out of guys that besides for Colton Miller were not of high pedigree. We're not big free agent signings. We're not high draft picks. And Carmen Brasillo got them playing not only as a functional unit, but got them playing well. Yeah. So I have a lot of confidence that the offensive line will be addressed this offseason and will perform better next season. Again, I don't, that's not setting the bar too high, saying better than this past season. Wow. But and, and I get the frustration from fans. I mean, it has been, you know, years since we really saw a great dominant offensive line here. But, you know, building a great dominant offensive line, it takes time. It takes patience. I mean, the Detroit Lions haven't – perhaps the best line in in the NFL it didn't just they didn't just build it overnight it took a couple of years they of were drafting for a long time yeah it took a couple of years of drafting guys signing guys finding the right combination of five players to put out there for them to put together the line that they have now which is one of the best and one of the most dominant now well, you mentioned Brasillo Again, 201-939-4513 is our phone number. If you'd like to give us a call, we'd certainly love to talk to you. I think it's interesting to note that Van Roten, the right guard with the Raiders, and Elmanur, the right tackle with the Raiders, both could be considered journeyman players. Neither one was a 
high-level player. And when you look at the fact that the Raiders' offensive line was very functional this year, that says an awful lot. Now, both of those guys are unrestricted free agents. Just um, something that's a fact that we have to admit to people. It's a fact. They are. Does that mean there'll be some interest there? I don't know. I'm not going to tell you something that I don't know because I don't know. We'll find out in a month. (laughs) But, But those two guys will be in the marketplace. And there is probably one person in this building who knows more about those two players than anybody else in the league. Very true. Okay. Uh, that could be good in terms of a reunion, or it could prevent a reunion. Yeah. We have no idea what no. he thinks in particular about those guys, or for that matter, what their prices will be. But the point being that that offensive line was at best functional, or certainly at minimum functional, and maybe even better than that, um, that's that's the key. You see, I get it. I get it. Everybody wants to have a great offensive line. If they have any intelligence at all, that's what you want because that's football 101. But the truth is, in today's game, because of the darth of offensive linemen that are available to the 32 National Football League clubs, it's incredibly difficult, almost like catching lightning in a bottle, to be able to put five guys together and said, these guys are dominant. And then, if you can keep them together for more than two years, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. Because you know, you know that at some point, you're going to have to wind up paying one of them a king's ransom, and then another guy's going to want it, and you can't pay him, and now he runs out the door because somebody else wrote a check. And so now your five is now four plus one. Or somebody gets hurt, and now it's three plus two. I mean, it's so, so incredibly difficult. So I always tell people the idea is you just want to build a functional offensive line that's good enough that they can run your entire playbook. They don't have to be dominant. You'd love them to be. But just be good enough that you don't have to throw chapters out of your playbook because that's when you get into trouble. And that's what happened to the Giants this year. From the very get-go, when Andrew Thomas went down on that field goal against the Dallas Cowboys, it immediately prompted the Giants to start taking chapters out of the playbook. That's just the way it went. And you see the domino effect that you get when you start taking chapters out. Yeah. Not only that, but it caused basically a reshuffling of positions along the offense line. And that happened at several points during the season. I mean, look at how many different spots that Ben Bredesen lined up at this past season. I mean, they went into the, the to last season with a plan of these are going to be our five offensive linemen. And as you said, as soon as Andrew Thomas got hurt, it eliminated some of the potential plays they could run. And it also caused different guys on the starting offensive line to have then have to switch positions and play places that they're not exactly, you know, hadn't trained all offseason and tra- spent all a training camp preparing for. I mean, what, wasn't it Azudu got moved out yes. to, to tackle? And this situation and got so dire, they had to pull Justin Pugh off his couch. Yeah, exactly. I mean, does, <laughs> people understand how devastating This offensive line was hit beginning with Thomas, which, in all honesty, was like taking a tower down from the George Washington Bridge. That's how devastating that loss was to the offensive line. Seriously. He's the best offensive lineman on the team, without a doubt. And one of the best in the league. Yeah, one of the best left tackles in the league, without a doubt. And it just just totally changed everything from the very get-go. We go back to the phones at 201-939-4513. David in Michigan, you're next on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Hello. Paulie, how are you? All right, Dave. How are you? Good. So you guys gave me a little bit of a bad time the other week when I suggested that um, our assistant GM, if he was offered a job by the Chargers, I said he should turn it down. And I think he must be listening to the podcast because what happened? He rejected the Chargers' offer. (laughs) Well, Dave, here's the only point that we said. 
There's 32 general manager jobs in the National Football League. And if you aspire as a member of someone's front office to get to that top level, you've got to be very, very careful before you say no. Because you never know when that next call to get one of those 32 jobs is going to come. We simply said you have to be cautious and you have to deliberate that long and hard. We didn't laugh at you and we didn't tell you that he'd be crazy (laughs) to take it or turn it down. We simply said that is not a knee-jerk decision. And I think Matt would agree. He wasn't wasn't on the show that day. No, but I... I I never... Yeah, yeah, you you got it. I never suggested... Yeah, I never suggested it was knee-jerk. I just said, based on what I think of that situation out there and my knowledge of Harbaugh, if I were him and I was an up-and-coming guy, I wouldn't wouldn't take it. Anyway, I wanted to say something about the draft, which is, um, you know, I love this guy Bowers, um, and I know that you – it seems like there's a consensus among uh you know y'all at the you know on the podcast because when you when i've heard over the last several weeks you know you you guys uh saying you know who would you pick it's one of the it's 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 the uh one, one of the wide receivers but a little while ago you said something which i completely agree with and it's not the sexiest thing in the world but this team is going to get better and is going to compete for relevant football in December once we get the trenches sorted out. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like this draft is what I would call an eat-your-peas draft, which is... <laughs> which is... <laughs> as someone who did not like green peas very much as a child, <laughs> I think I know where you're going. Because you know what I used to do, Dave? I would take that scoop but... of peas with the fork, and I would have that big glass of ice water with me. And, and Mom and Dad <laughs> used to say, make sure you finish your peas. And I would shovel them in and gulp them down with the ice water so I didn't have to taste them very much. Well, in my case... <laughs> My grandmother made me eat green beans. Oh, I, like peas, I would never go but, there. Never. But I don't like green Nor broccoli like green either. Anyway. I'm not going broccoli either. Go ahead. <laughs> and I, I love this guy, Bowers, but I cannot get away from the fact I'm going to put my a new hat on. I'm president of Giants football operations. And I'm telling, you know what I'm saying to, to Joe, look, We've got to get four uh, new offensive linemen in here. You want four? Uh, you know, between four. the draft and the free agency, we've got to get at least four new offensive linemen. And here's something else, in case they're listening, Paul, because I think you're going to you're going to agree with me, but it's unlikely. But I think you're going to agree with me which is that if I was putting together a reconstituted offensive line as head of football operations, I'm telling my coach and my general manager, the starting uh, five offensive linemen in the three preseason games are going to play a half for every game. No argument from me. You know know how I feel about that. I do, I do, and um, you know, since uh, since he listened to me about the Charger uh, uh, job, I'm gonna I'm gonna assume that he's listening. And you think you think Brandon Brown is listening, James. huh? You think so? You think Brandon so? Brown, my guy, <laughs> my, my guy, he's my I'll, guy. Brandon I'll let Brown. him know. I'll let him know. I promise you, Dave. But 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 seriously, these guys, wh- however we reconstitute it. Uh, you gotta you gotta play these guys a half for the three games leading up to game one. All right, I'm here just, I'm gonna let you a, I'm gonna let you month. and Matt hammer something out for a second because I do want to get to other calls. Two oh one nine three nine four five one three. I want you and Matt to hammer this out. You're gonna keep, let's just say for argument's sake, nine offensive line. Nine offensive mm-hmm. linemen on the team in twenty twenty four. Let's yep. just say it's nine. You're saying you want four new ones. No matter how you get them, you want four new ones. So which five right. are you guys bringing back? 
Well, I just want to. Well, I wanted to specify yeah. one thing to you know what David said when you said four offensive linemen. I hope you meant that also including some reserve offensive linemen because Andrew Thomas and John Michael Schmitz are both. Well, no, he's talking about out of the group of nine. Okay, right, Dave. Okay. You're not, not talking about not, starters. You're talking yeah. about the room. Correct. That's okay. Okay. Just, I right. just so, wanted to just wanted Matt's to Matt's going to go first, that. and then Dave, you're going to go second. I want your five offensive linemen then, who you think should be retained, and then the four you the four spots that are going to be uh, acquired. Okay. Well, to start, very easy. Andrew Thomas was obviously will be back. He will be the starting left tackle. John Michael Schmitz will be back. Will be the starting center. Evan Neal, I believe, will be back. And you know whether or not the Giants decide to either bring in competition or maybe try moving him inside. I don't know, but one way or the other, I believe he will be back. And Azudu, I believe, will be back. And if I'm picking a fifth, I would say, well, the guys that are under contract, Marcus McKeithen. Then, me personally, with you know, this is one guy who is a free agent, and I would love to see be resigned. Would be Ben Bredesen. I think Ben Bredesen played very well given the circumstances last season. He's switching positions. He moved over to center when John Michael Schmitz got hurt for a couple of games. He's been around the team for a couple of years now. I think he would be great to be back, whether that's in a starting or a reserve role, TBD. But I would love to see Bredesen be brought back. Okay, so you're going to try to squeeze six back and then maybe add three. Depending on – as long as everyone I just mentioned – Healthy? Yes, I, w- I would. Okay, Dave, did he sell you on possibly six, or are you sticking with five? I'm sticking with five, and I'm going to say McKeithen and Bredesen are, are a pick em. And then the rest of them, gone. Goodbye. Now, here's so, what's dangerous you know, about what you just did. You, you have no backup center now, all right? And now you, no, you're Bredesen, forced. No, I. Right? Yeah. If you're, if you're gonna, okay. if you if you're going to if you're going to possibly jettison Bredesen, you don't have a backup center for sure amongst your your keepers. That could get well, a little I, sticky, unless you want to unless I you want mean, to consider J.C. Hassenauer, the Steeler who was on injury reserve this year. Yeah, I don't know about the the Steeler guy. I, I'm not familiar enough with his. Well, he play. did start some games. I mean, you know, he has some I'd starting be... experience. He's a young veteran, and he was IR this whole year. We we have no idea from a Giants perspe- perspective what he can do. Yeah, he got hurt during training camp. Yeah, he was out for the season. No, I, I'd be, I would be okay with Bredesen. I'm not sold on McKeithen, but goodbye Glowinski, goodbye Parrot, goodbye Lemieux, goodbye Justin Pugh. Thanks for your service. Appreciate you coming off the couch, but we cannot. We need four new, you know, reliable, solid guys, even if two of them are rookies, which is why I'm saying I want, in the three preseason games, I want these guys playing a half per game to get some continuity. And and uh, I like Bredesen coming back as the swing guy because, I listen, I don't want to start from scratch with, with more than four for guys, I you know even though we got a new OL coach, the the you know the the, the offensive coordinators back to so the schemes and the playbook, you know is the same and 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 that's going to count for something, especially with a guy like Schmidt, who who you know rough rookie year a little bit roughish, but but he's a stud. He's going to be with us for ten years, you, you know I have no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. And Neil, the last the last thing in the world I'd want to do with Neil, if he gets if he's going to get healthy this year, is to give him a new playbook. I mean, you know. Yeah, you could argue that moving him to guard, as many people have tried to suggest, is just going to mess him up again and set him back even further. You could make that case. Anyway, so Dave, Dave, want, thank you. Thank you. If, I want to try to get to some pick, more folks. Yeah, yeah. All right. Thanks, All right, guys. we'll talk to you again. Dave's a regular caller, so he can always get back to us. 201-939-4513 is our phone number. Uh, we certainly would be uh, very, very welcome to hear from you. Tyree Phillips, who was a versatile and, and I think a sufficient backup offensive lineman, got hurt nearly into the season. Yep. And so I don't know what his status is in terms of availability, whether he'll be ready for week one or not. That's a guy who, you know, quite frankly, 
I wouldn't mind giving him a chance to come back and earn a spot on the roster if he is healthy enough to do so. But I don't know if that's even possible by the start of training camp. Yeah, I mean, that's why I did not include him because he did suffer a serious injury at what was a week 17, week 18? Yeah, right at the end of the season. The very end of the season. So I just, we don't know his exact timeline for his rehab when he will be 100% healthy if he would be ready for the start of training camp. If he, let's say he is healthy for the start of training camp or projected to be healthy by then, I would love to see him back. I agree with you. I think he is a very solid offensive lineman that when the Giants called on him last season, even the season before, really stepped up when they needed him the most. And when he came back, this was the second half of last season, after spending a little bit of time on the Eagles practice squad, I thought he played you know, pretty well when he was thrust into action. Again, he was part of that sort of revolving door on the offensive line that just kept on suffering injury after injury. And, I mean, one point that David brought up wanting to get continuity on the unit. I, I do think that is very important. No argument there. I have to say I'm a, I do disagree with his point of wanting to start all five of your offensive linemen for all three preseason games for an entire half. I mean, we saw what happened last season. The offensive line, like the first month of the season, it seemed like each game we lost at least one offensive lineman to a at least somewhat substantial injury, an injury that forced them to miss multiple games. That easily could happen in the preseason too. I it can to- I'm totally, totally it can happen on walking board. out to get the mail in the morning. You're right, and I'm totally on board with having them play some plays. I don't think it's too beneficial to have you know your entire offensive line sit out an entire preseason game or two just to try to avoid injuries. But at the same time, in games that are completely meaningless, personally, I would not want to have my starters at a position where injuries tend to happen somewhat often. I don't know if I'd want them out there for an entire half, three straight weeks leading up to the regular season. But I get David's point of wanting to get some, you know, continuity, some reps with the whole unit together during the preseason. Uh, Phillips had surgery right around New Year's uh, from the torn quad suffered against the Rams. Okay. So I don't know enough about medical to know what his rehab will be off of that or not. But, you know, Around, it was right around the week of New Year's that he had the surgery. So take it for what it's worth. You know, you're know, you talking full seven months to training camp. Is that enough time? I don't know the answer to that. I don't know. Either. And I don't know how his rehab's going either. You know, uh, I am in favor of as many snaps as you can get for the line to be together because I say the heck with taking the risk about injury. You've got to get these guys ready to go. I think it's too important. Uh, offensive line needs continuity, needs to build together. I'm I'm done with throwing you know having caution throw caution to the wind let's just go that's a, I'm I'm with Dave on this I'm sorry man no, I'm with him 100 no, percent but enough. I do I do know I do know that the offensive line coach uh, Coach Brasillo who is now in his first year with the team he's going to have some definitive opinions not only about the makeup of that room but how much time they need to gel together yeah. and and if he says coach. I need at least a quarter in each of the three preseason games, and that's what I subscribe to, and I think I think I believe in my guys enough that that'll do it. Okay, you know what? I can be flexible. I like what Dave is saying about a half in all three preseason games. I like that. That would be my preference. But if Coach Brasillo said, I need to pull it back a little bit because, you know what, I think I know enough about these guys to know what they're doing. They're smart. Uh, they're in cohesion with each other. They're they're very sharp. Maybe I could be flexible with that. But I'm again. This goes down to what we said at the start of this program. Coach Priscillo is going to have some input here. A hundred percent, as he should. He's and got again, to. And my point. I honestly, I'll admit, I could just be a little scarred from this past season with how many injuries we and I suffered along the O line. I well, it's personally been a decade. Just, it's not just this past no, season. No, I know. Guys but this, have been getting hurt forever. A hundred percent. But this past season, especially, I mean, the first, the first half of the season, it seemed like it was almost like a running joke around the league. Oh, there's another Giants offensive lineman getting hurt. It was crazy. I feel like this past season was even worse 
worse than any other year I can remember. Well, it's the first it's, time we had to pull somebody off the couch. It That's how bad it, it was. reminded me of that year where like our entire wide receiver room got hurt within like a month. I forget yes. was it 2018. And and there maybe? was a year where all well, we lost like five corners. Yeah. You I know, mean, in a but, month and a half. But along the offensive line, last season, injury-wise, has the worst that I can remember it. See, and I've been following this team see, for 20, do you, 25 do years. You, do you go back to when Ian Allen was our starting right tackle? Ooh, you don't go how, back to how, that. How, how That's the fossil that? era. Okay, that was like the the beginning of my like okay. really being it, able to see, follow. That's when you know, with all due respect to him, that's when you know you've got a problem. When you don't have any potential answers that can be functional in each of the five spots, when you go in knowing like, okay, that spot is already a problem, even if that guy stays healthy for every snap and doesn't miss a single solitary offensive play, and you know, you know that he's going to be mismatched on a number of Sundays. That's a problem. Yeah. That's what we call not ideal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Holy blank is what, what that that becomes. Okay? So, you know, what you're hoping is that if Mr. X stays healthy in his spot, he's going to be able to hold up. And then you need to hope that for five different spots on the offensive line. Back to the phones at 201-939-4513. Scott from New Mexico is on the line. You're next on BBKL. Hello. Hello, guys. How are you doing today? What's up? Good. What's up, Scott? Uh, just a quick comment. Uh, Matt, did anyone ever tell you you look like Jason Seahorn's younger brother? <laughs> I have not gotten that before. I don't know what Jason Seahorn's you younger brother looks like. certainly didn't hear that from me. I'll tell you that. <laughs> okay. Well, you do. Th- thank you, I think. <laughs> you should be thanked, yeah. Uh, just don't get hurt. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, quick question. I was and the only question I really have. Uh, the Giants haven't really put together a uh, competitive offensive line. We're looking now for probably eight or nine years. No, no, they had one in 2022. Be fair. Yeah. That was yeah. a very yeah, functional offensive line. I agree. Yes. I would okay, so let, let's case. amend that statement just a tad. Okay. Uh, but I'm interested in the fail-safe mechanisms of how the Giants draft, not draft, but actually uh, where the scouts go out and they look at different players, and then what's, what's the, I don't want to call it pecking order, but what actually trans, transpires or transfers from the scouts to the next level? The reason I'm asking the question, if you look at Dallas by comparison, they drafted Zach Martin, I think, in the 16th round. They drafted Travis Frederick, I think, in the 31st round. They built their offensive line slowly, but they did it well, with Zach Martin was a first-round pick. I think yes, meant fifteenth overall. Oh, 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 okay. I, I thought you said fifteenth round. No. I'm like, what are you talking about? We don't have no, fifteen rounds. Sixteenth overall. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Yes. 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 So they've they've established I don't know where Teron Smith was drafted, but I assume also fairly high. But the question I have is from the scouts to the next level, are there fail safe mechanisms? Because players the scouts are running around to different divisions, uh, different conferences, uh and they're looking at individual players, and then what transpires from the point they actually view the player to the next level? Because they're going to go to the combine, they're going to look at them there, they're going to look at their college uh, history, but college can be a little uh, skewed because different conferences are stronger than other ones. Yeah. But but players do come out of those conferences. I think Tony Romo was what East Carolina State. Uh, I forgot what conference that even is, but you know you can get players. So how do these scouts? interact with the next level once they've looked at a player and say, hey, I really like this guy, and what transpires basically after that? And well, that's really the only question I have. Yeah, you have your regional scouts first. Right. Okay, then you have your super scouts, who are your double checkers. Uh, then you've got, obviously, you're a director of college personnel, okay, who's in charge mm-hmm. of, who's really the, the lead guy putting all the draft stuff together. And then okay. you've got your general manager. Who Joe Shane? I, I, I don't know if everybody knows this. I know you know this, Matt. Joe Shane is incredibly active in getting out to college games during the course of football season. Every Saturday, he goes to at least one game, if not two or three. I mean, he is all over the place, 
and then hustling on Sunday to get back for the Giants game or to meet the Giants on the road. This guy doesn't stop. Yeah, I mean, that was reported during the season. I feel like any time the Giants, especially, like, had an away game, there were reports that the day before, Joe Shane, with several other members of the front office, were looking were at college games, you know, in the area of wherever the Giants were playing the next day. That happened, I remember... Sometimes out of the area. Several occasions. There were reports where Joe Shane was going to, you know, a, a game, a Saturday afternoon game, one place, then a Saturday night game somewhere else before going to meet the Giants on the road the following day. So, yeah, as Paul said, Joe and the whole front office, the, even, like, the top guys in the front office, very active themselves in the scouting of college players during the college football season. Okay. Brown, as we mentioned earlier, we mentioned, uh, you know, he's the assistant GM. Dennis Hickey, who is actually the unofficial the director of college uh, uh, players uh, in terms of uh, the, the draft picks. He's all over the place. These guys, they're not sitting around. They are all right. over the place. So it goes up the ladder. There are multi-levels here. So at the end of the day, the final decision is really made by Joe Shane. Yes. Pretty much on who they're going to draft yes. And, yes. and put that class together. Dennis Sickey's in charge of compiling everything because he's, he's kind of the, again, unofficially the director of college personnel. So he kind of puts all the stuff together, and then Joe is the one who's actually got to put his stamp on it. Okay. Well, th- thanks, guys. I was just curious. And by the way, I'm sure that Coach Priscillo is going to have some things to say, too. He's going to be at the Combine. He's going to interview these guys, too. Yeah, I mean, that was going to be my next point in that, like, yes, Joe Shane definitely has the absolute final say, but you're crazy if you don't think uh, Brian Dable and the whole coaching staff has a big impact on the on the scouting and the draft picks as well. I mean, bef- Joe and Dabes, especially Joe, has said that it is a very collaborative process where the front office guys work with the coaching staff to try to figure out what players fit, you know, obviously the most talented players, but also fit with what the Giants are trying to do on both sides of the ball. So the coaching staff definitely has a big impact on the draft picks as well. It's not, let's not put it all on the front office. They obviously, Joe gets the final say, but there are a lot of people who come up get to the final decision that Joe will then put the final stamp. All right, as we kick it out of here because we've run out of time for today's program, uh, go back if you get a chance and look at some of the stuff that uh, uh, Michael Becton did. He's our our ace senior videographer and editor who does all of our feature stuff, Giants Life and stuff of that nature. He did a really cool Giants Life. It's somewhere on the website. Go back and look for it. Off of the Combine from last year. And if you watch that, they blurred out the players who were in the room. But he's got some clips in there, some highlights, with the blurred out faces of some of the prospects who get to sit in the room, and that room, that suite at uh, in Indianapolis, uh, at the stadium there, uh, 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 oil, uh, Lucas, Lucas Oil Stadium, they've got about eight people, 10 people of, of Giants personnel folks who are all sitting there like in a half circle, and they put that prospect down to, in front of them, and they start asking him stuff. And they're asking for diagrams, and they're showing him tape, and they're asking this, and they're asking that. And they're giving him the whole once-over. That gives you an idea of how much input goes into this. This is not like, you know, they're going off crumbs to figure out if a prospect is any good. They go through a vetting process. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was in Indy last season or last year for the Combine, and I took a tour of that the room that you were talking about before the coaches were there, before any interviews or anything. But I can tell you this, there were a lot of chairs in that room. A lot of chairs for a lot of people that are sitting in for each time they bring in a prospect to get interviewed. Exactly. And That's the chairs point. for the front office guys and coaching staff. They, so. They're doing their due diligence. Trust me, my friends. They're, they're not uh, leaving stones unturned as yep. they try to find solutions to some of the Giants' problems. All right. That'll do it uh, from at SeaTac. I'm Paul Dottino. SciTech. I got it right the <laughs> second time. I was waiting time. for you to have Well, you know why? Because John keeps telling me it's SeaTac all the time. From Mad Side Tech. I got it right at the beginning of the show. You did. You did. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening. 
Uh, this has been today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live, uh, presented by Cadillac, the official luxury vehicle of the New York football giants. You can catch an archive of this show on all of the Giants platforms everywhere at Giants.com slash podcasts. We'll see you next time. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.